This episode is brought to you by Lifetime's Robin Roberts Presents Mahalia. From executive producers Robin Roberts and Linda Berman comes the biopic of the legendary Mahalia Jackson. Grammy Award winner Daniel Brooks stars as the trailblazer whose music moved, inspired, and changed people's hearts. Critics have praised Brooks's transformative performance into the Queen of Gospel as thunderingly good. Directed by Kenny Leon and written by Bettina Jillowa and Todd Kreidler, this Lifetime original movie continues to inspire viewers and highlights the ongoing fight for social justice. Robin Roberts presents Mahalia for your Emmy consideration in all categories. Hi, everyone! My name is Dino Ray Ramos. Welcome to Deadline's New Hollywood Podcast. I'm Amanda Induka. Um, tell them who we have, Dino. You know who we have? We have Pose co-creator Stephen Connells. Right before the, the series finale of the show, which is very bittersweet. Yeah, it was very bittersweet. It was super emotional. Um, I, I got emotional watching it. Um, there's a lot we, of- We don't spoil anything. Well, we yeah, spoil a little bit. I don't think we no, spoil do anything big. No, we don't spoil yeah. anything big. We, we avoided spoilers this time. But mm-hmm. um, the show, obviously, groundbreaking mm-hmm. when it was first announced. Um, a show that has a, a cast that's full of, of, of Black and brown trans people, mm-hmm. people that are part of the LGBTQIA community, and putting them in this forf- the forefront of this narrative. And you guys, the show is is a great show. It's It's been Emmy nominated. Yeah. Um, it's what they what they did is nothing short of amazing with the yeah. show. I think the way it wraps up is to- it, w- it was great. It's like- perfect. I mean, like, I- I'm going to say it. It, it, it is it kind of it's a very perfect if not if you don't want to call it per- it's like satisfying. Yeah. And it's, it, I, I think it's an ending that people are going to remember. I think. Yeah. So. And I think the show itself is like although it's over it's only been three seasons that but this show is coming this episode is coming out before the finale the Tuesday before the finale. Um, I, I, I just think it it, it, it just, is, just did some amazing things with storytelling, amplifying these voices that we would not have ever heard of if it weren't for people like Stephen Canals, Ryan Murphy, and effects. You know, I, I love, you know, it, I think we talk about this in an episode about how Pose changed the cultural landscape with TV, but you look now, Pose kind of paved the way for ballroom culture that we're seeing, like, and ballroom culture is where so much fashion, dance, music, yeah. it's like an epicenter of art that people never give credit to. And I'm glad that Pose kind of brought it to our attention because, you know, we have legendary that- that, that, yeah, the, that the, came the, after Pose, right? Like, yeah, I yeah. And then the, you, you, you have all, yeah. And I think it would, if it weren't for Pose, that wouldn't have existed. Yeah. Yeah. Or like all these like, uh, and then, um, because we have Paris is Burning and there was a, a documentary called Kiki, which I don't know if that came out before or after Pose, but I just love how it not only amplified the culture, but these voices that, these talented voices, these wonderful voices that, especially Steven, you know, I'm, I'm just excited to see what Steven's doing next because he's being very secretive. He was being- <laughs> He's a gem. This this man, I, I love that he knows what he wants to do and he's not going to compromise in any way. Like he has a vision of the type of things that he wants to put out to the world. And he and he and he he we talk about in the in, in the in the during the podcast, but he's not willing to sort of 
compromise that vision or what he wants to put out for for for, for he's very he's very he wants to be very intentional yeah. about what he puts out so um and i think if it if anything that comes from him that, that if, if anything is like pose uh, this man will be breaking ground yeah over, and over again and that's what we hope for right like that's what yes. we get excited about when it comes to tv um and and film and all these different narratives um, so yeah, without further ado, here is Steven. Steven, welcome to Deadline Soon Hollywood Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Um, so so we congrats and congrats on the, the final season of Pose and, and a successful series and a groundbreaking series. And like I said, we'll get more into Pose. Um, later, but so in, uh, on this podcast, we like to sort of get um, a sense of everybody's backgrounds. Like, what brought you to this business, this very, very crazy business? So, for you, what inspired you to be a storyteller? That's a great question. Um, I, I mean, I grew up loving story. My mom is a teacher; she teaches hmm. kindergarten, and. So story books, I would say, was like my earliest understanding and my earliest relationship to to story. Um, you know, so I'm thinking of like the Berenstain Bears was one that you know we read <laughs> a lot yeah. uh, when I was a yes, kid. Yes, Berenstain Bears at the book fair. Hello. You would buy those at the <laughs> book fair. Like, uh-huh. Scholastic. <laughs> <laughs> Where you had like the 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 paper that was like as thin as like the Bible. It was just so thin. And you fill it out and then like I, I remember there would be friends who would just buy stickers and I'd be jealous of them, but my mom would make me buy books. <laughs> <laughs> Very that. Yeah. Um love a scholastic book fair. So anyhow, uh so that was my first like relationship to to story. And then obviously like I loved film and TV, and I think like a lot of uh, I'm going to generalize and say, I think like a lot of young kids of color, you know, you, there was a lot of co-parenting with the television. <laughs> and so I spent a lot of time uh, in front of TV and, and that was okay. Like my parents were okay with me sort of being in front of television because I loved it so much. And I grew up in New York and this was in the eighties. So, you know, it was the alternative was to be outside. And this was in the midst of the crack epidemic. And then obviously HIV AIDS was also um, impacting my South Bronx neighborhood. And so it, it it was safer to be inside, but that was sort of my first relationship to story um, mm-hmm. as a kid. Mm-hmm. And was there anything in particular that you maybe you watched or that um, you experienced that made you wanna get into this business or made you wanna, wanna write uh, stuff on your own? You know, what's really fascinating about this and this has come up a lot for me in this final season like folks sort of being curious about my origins like my beginnings the truth is I had no desire to write like mm-hmm. that was never uh that wasn't a, a a goal or a dream for me um I will say I was that kid both with friends and with my family in particular that was super annoying because I am I'm a Virgo and we're or, or, like we're neurotic and anal retentive and perfectionist <laughs> But also, like, I would suck the fun out of play because I was that kid that had a notebook and I would write down storylines for the Mm -hmm. toys and be like, okay, so, like, you know, Barbie (laughs) and, you know, the Transformers and the Ninja Turtles and the Thundercats and Jem are going to all be together and this is the way the story is going to play out. And they were like, or we could just play. Um, 
my poor cousins they were like oh this kid again <laughs> with his notebook but so that I mean it's always I guess writing stories then but the mm. reality is like my first desire or sort of sense that I wanted to be a filmmaker specifically happened when I was 15 years old. I was a sophomore in high school um, and I joined an after-school program. Uh, and this was while I was still, I was attending Stevenson High School in the Bronx, a high school that no longer exists. Mm -hmm. um, but there was an after-school program called Youth Ministries for Peace and Justice. And the focus of this after-school program was community revitalization through art practice. Ooh. And so I joined this after school program, um, after my my dear friend Christy Vargas sort of nudged me into joining with her. And we, along with like eight other classmates, um, we worked on a documentary short about turf violence. So this was 1995 and we had sort of made it through the crack epidemic and then gang violence reemerged in our neighborhood. Um, and so I, along with my other classmates, all of whom were Black and, and Latin, um, worked on this documentary short. And about a week from completing the editing on this documentary, um, one of our classmates, uh, Eva, was shot and killed. And so it was at 15 that we went from highlighting an experience to suddenly having the experience. Yeah. And and wow. that really was the moment for me where everything shifted because I think up until that point, I well, two big things. One is that I had only ever been a consumer of content mm -hmm. and it never occurred to me that I could be the person creating it. Mm -hmm. And then the other big piece to that was that as now someone who was having the opportunity to create content, I realized the uh, power of the medium, that it could be more than just entertainment, but it could also be educational. And obviously, you know, 25, 30 years later, I still bring that into my practice now as a storyteller here in, in Hollywood. But um, that moment was really critical for me at 15, not just because of Eva's death, um, which is a cold case and was never solved, um, oh God. but also because, um, you know, I grew up in housing projects in the Bronx and, you know, there was no one in my community who was aspiring to make it in Hollywood. I mean, the reality is that we all were just trying to survive. Right. Yeah. You know, and so to to go from there to here, like there like that was that wasn't even in anyone's right. you know, goals or thought process, like nothing. I think it, it just was like, you know, we were just happy to be okay, to be you know, I can't even say thriving. We were just happy right. to be Alive. surviving. Yeah. 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 Wow. wow. Yeah. I mean, it was like, you, you kind of answered my next question about how, you know, your, your own cultural identity and your upbringing kind of informs your work, but well, what, what were your, were your parents very, very supportive when you were like, oh, I'm going to be a writer or, or like, how, how was that, you know, or like, how was your family or what was your support system like when going through, you know, making your way to Hollywood? Yeah. I mean, I, I was, um, it's interesting when I think about it now. My parents were young when they had me. They were both in their 20s, mm -hmm. um, early 20s. And can you, and both of your parents yes. are, you're of, of mixed race, right? You're uh, half, half black, half Puerto Rican. Is that correct? So my, so my dad is what, like, what we would just say is like a white passing Puerto Rican. My okay. mother is, is multiracial. So my mother's okay. black Puerto Rican. Oh, okay. 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 Cool. 
okay okay go ahead I just to um <laughs> and so you know and, and you can imagine that that's you know that was a fun pairing <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. you know let's let's talk about colorism in the latin community oh god uh, every community Jeez. Colorism period. period yeah god yeah yeah okay, okay. yeah um so and that's a whole other conversation that we can talk about you know like my my upbringing and sort of being identified as uh well, the language then when I was in the eighties was Hispanic, but being yeah. really confused by that because like my mother has, you know, she has, she's on the lighter end of the spectrum, but you know, she still has brown skin and she has kinky hair. And I was like, wait, I'm confused because I would hear my mother referring herself as a black woman. Yeah. And I was like, but I'm so, but I'm not black. Like I'm Hispanic. Mm-hmm. Like I don't understand right. that, yeah. you know, I'm being very yeah. confused and, and obviously messaging from your family around like, well, but you have good hair. And so really it's, it's messed up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a whole other podcast. Yeah. But, That's a whole other um, podcast. Yeah. But my parents both, they grew up in, in Harlem. Mm-hmm. You know, my parents actually met on Columbia University's campus um, and, and my mother grew up in housing projects. My father grew up in a walk up. And and anyway, I think because they both grew up in really difficult environments in the 60s and 70s, because they both grew up in in households that were abusive. I think my parents really were very uh, intentional about not wanting to replicate cycles of trauma Mm, 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 and mm. so at 15 when I came home after working on this documentary on the heels of a classmate dying and said I want to be a filmmaker they were like great you know like my father ran out and like managed to put together a bunch of pennies to buy me a a camcoder you know and then my parents went to at at this time they were still circuit city like my parents Mm -hmm. went to circuit city and they bought me editing equipment and they installed it on our home computer that my father he didn't even buy my father literally bought all the software separately and all the hardware and built our home computer computer. wow um Mm -hmm. from scratch but you know he my parents were ultra supportive they were very much like if that's what you want to do go do it like there was Mm -hmm. never a sense of like that's not a possibility for us. Yeah. They were like, if you are saying that's something that you want to accomplish, you just have to work really hard. In fact, you have to work 10 times harder than your white counterpart. Mm-hmm. Work really hard, knock the doors down, make it happen. I, I love hearing stories like that. I mean, I'm not saying my parents weren't. Okay, my, let's just be honest. My parents weren't supportive at first, when, you know, and because I did start off as pre-med and, I'll, and then like, then I worked my way down to journalism. <laughs> But hearing like how, hearing how your parents were so supportive, kind of just like tugs at my heart. It's just like, oh, yeah. you know. Wait, it, I have it, an it, anecdote for you. Okay, this is. I want to hear. I so I graduate. So I go to college. So after I graduate from high school, I did not apply myself. High school was a really rough experience. So I take mm-hmm. two years off between graduating high school and attending college. So I graduate from high school at seventeen. I leave for college at nineteen, and. I study cinema, graduate, and then fall into a career in higher education. So I go back to school, work on a master's, and then I I worked as a college administrator uh, seven years professionally, nine years if I include my paraprofessional experience. Mm -hmm. And right, I remember, I'll never forget, so this was in 2008, 
I, f- I complete my master's degree in student affairs and diversity. And I'm in, I think we were in like a, what were we in? Like, a, I don't even remember, like Ruby Tuesdays or TGI Friday, something like that. And my, we're eating, uh, we're having lunch after my graduation. And I tell my parents, you know, I think I'm going to start looking at PhD programs. And I like, I was on track to becoming either the dean of a college or like a vice president Ooh. of student affairs. Wow. And, you know, and I was perfectly fine with that. And um, you know, I was really excited about the research I conducted in grad school. So I was like, I think I'm going to keep going with this. And I'll never forget my parents looking at me and like seeing heartbreak on their face. And my father, I just remember my father being like, so what about that film thing? Oh! <laughs> and being so upset with them, like, <laughs> you know, like, you know, I was like, I'm not going to ruin the day. I'm not going to ruin the moment. I was like, uh-huh. Yeah, I don't, that's not what I'm doing right now. Oh my but my God. parents were persistent. And every single year that I worked as a college administrator in August, when the students would return to campus, I tell, I, I, I kid you not, every single year, I would have some version of the following conversation with my mom. So the kids are coming back to school. Yeah, that's great. And, um, and so what are you thinking? Like, are you thinking you're going to do that again for another year? <laughs> yes, mom, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> my parents were so, my, I'm t- listen. Oh my gosh, look at me now though. <laughs> when I made the decision to recommit to being an artist, more specifically when I told them, because I moved to Los Angeles in 2012 specifically because I uh, applied to and was accepted to UCLA's mm. M- MFA screenwriting program. But when I told them I got in and then I was moving to LA, there couldn't have been two people. Like my parents were happier for me than I was. <laughs> oh gosh, I this is a wonderful that. story. I it's- say that because my dad tells me every single year that I could still go to med school. Like... <laughs> <laughs> He's like, it's not too late to get to, to apply to med school. I'm like, Dad, I'm not going to med school. Leave me alone. It is kind of late. You know, you'd be like, <laughs> I, mean, I guess there's never too late to do anything. Yeah, it's not too it's late. It's not going to happen. Never too late. <laughs> I love it that, is, though. I love that. that it's, so, it's so refreshing to hear that kind of story. And, and, yeah. and, and, and just like, now I want to meet your parents. <laughs> Wait, so what, did, what, did, what did they think of like when Post came yeah. out and everything? What was their, like, what was their reaction? And it's really interesting. It's fascinating. Okay. <laughs> With, uh, because they're excited, but my parents, like my parents, my family in general, but particularly my parents are very, um, they're like, they're very low key. Mm-hmm. So my, my mom's obviously really happy. And like, whenever we talk, she's like, oh, baby, I'm so proud of you. But the truth is like, I remember when I first mentioned to them, like, oh my God, I'm going to be making a show and it's going to be on FX and it's a big deal. And I'm working with Ryan Murphy and, F- and, uh, and my mom's attitude in the moment was very like, well, yeah, obviously. Like, there was no- <laughs> right? like, of course you're going to do that. <laughs> like her energy was very, very much. You decided you wanted to recommit to your art. Mm-hmm. You went to UCLA for screenwriting and now you are screenwriting. <laughs> like her it's, like, it's just very, like it was like, like of all, course you're doing that <laughs> oh my goodness you, you were like yeah. oh, i'm doing this show with ryan murphy and she's all and you went to school <laughs> no, for it no really i remember being like i remember calling my sister i was like i feel like she's like not excited or not understanding how big this is and it's like no no it's just that she's just like well yeah of course you're you have a show on television now that's what you moved to la to do oh my gosh you're doing it that's um, like this weird 
interesting, bizarre manifestation kind of thing. It, it, it's like, like my, my, my parents, uh, that, that's, that's kind of dope though, that your mom was just like very, you know, like, oh, okay, shrug it off. Good for you. Like, What's you know, for dinner? Are, yeah, moms are like, my baby's going to make it. Like, <laughs> like I already know he's going to make it. So it's like nothing. nothing well, also, yeah, like parents are wildly intuitive. Yeah, I think yes. I, yeah, they're wild. Like, even if you don't say anything, they'll be all, you know, well, we know, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's crazy, especially at the older you get, you know, and you see your, you see your parents as like, almost like peers, which is <laughs> weird. Uh, and, and having these conversations. And like, I, I, I saw my parents for the first time since like, December 2019, like a couple weeks ago. And it's like we were just talking like adults and friends and then like I was in my mind and I was all wait <laughs> you guys were the same people that punished me like when I was like <laughs> younger but it's so dope to hear that your your, your parents are uh, are so supportive so like you know completely when it comes to storytelling I oh I like asking this to you when I'm sure you have so many stories like in your head ideas and, and like just ruminating and like sitting there but when do you know a story is worth putting to paper? Wait, I have to go back for a second. I just tell you one <laughs> funny thing, okay. which is about the parents, because okay. I, just now I just I realized I didn't tell you about my dad. So my mother, okay. so M Evelyn is very much like you're my son, so of course you're successful and doing great things. Right. Okay, my Evelyn, dad, who you know, my father you know, like my father grew up, he dropped out of high school, he has a GD. My father was a for years and years was a blue collar worker, worked for Maytag. He was in the Marine Corps. Like my dad is, it's very that, you know, like very masculine, you know. Um, and the funniest thing to me is that this man who has a queer son goes everywhere. And like my, like my mother is like, at this point, she's like, I just walk away from him. Cause like, they'll go to, you know, like they're at Home Depot and he's like, oh, you know, like, bro, wh where can I find some, uh, you know, like I'm looking for, for, I don't know, like suddenly <laughs> they go into, they're in that aisle and he's just like, bro, do you have FX? You ever watch the show Pose? <laughs> oh, because that's my son. Like he just. <laughs> I freaking love that. Oh my Shout God. Shout out to your parents. Yeah. Yes. Can we have your, That's Johnny. Can we have your... Evelyn and Johnny. <laughs> Evelyn and Johnny, you're invited on this parents. podcast. You guys passed the parent test. <laughs> that is, I, I'm like just picturing that in my head. It's like, yeah. I don't know where your dad is just like, oh, by the way, you have FX? My, my son you don't, did that. You don't have it? You're not subscribed? <laughs> oh, okay. Have you seen Pose yet? Because you can catch it on Netflix. Like he's yes, just yeah. one man marketing it's, it's, team. It's, yeah, it's kind of, it's like when you're, it is like when you're, you're kind of, I guess like when you're in high school or whatever and you're in the, the, the play and your parents are bragging about you to their friends yeah. or just to random people. That I, I just think that's funny. That's Home so Depot yeah. talk about Pose. Home Depot and Pose together again. Everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing nothing will stop johnny canals but um <laughs> johnny and evelyn shout out johnny and evelyn oh. love them but in terms uh, of your your yeah. question about stories and yeah. value and storytelling it's interesting i um i'll tell you about what was the spark for pose and yeah. i carry this through mm. into the work i'm now doing um so when i my very first day of grad school this is when I was working on my master's in student affairs. 
um, I had a professor at Binghamton University, Dr. Dina Maramba, and I'll never forget what she said because it so deeply resonated with me. She was, she said, all of you as future student affairs practitioners, your job will be when you step foot on any campus to identify where there are gaps in resources, in policies, in programs, and then you wanna use your knowledge, your privilege, your platform to inform how to fill in those gaps. Mm. You know, the, I think the analogy that I, I think what she, or the metaphor, metaphor or analogy, I don't know which one it is, but basically what she said to us is think of a college campus like, a, like Swiss cheese and there's a bunch of holes and what you have to do is just identify the holes and then fill them up. And mm. so, I bring that into my practice as a storyteller. So when I was at UCLA, this is now end of 2013 going into 2014, I did an assessment of the television landscape and I was like, who are we not seeing? And at mm. that time, television was being dominated by white, straight, cisgendered male antiheroes. So right. it was Mad Men, it was Breaking Bad, it was wow. House of Cards, it was The Americans, you know, all great shows, but where are black and brown people? Where are queer and trans people? Like, where are we? Um, and so that really was the impetus going into that particular quarter at UCLA. I was enrolled in a drama pilot class and I thought, okay, whatever I create this quarter, it has to fill that gap. You know, there's clearly, we're not seeing uh, Latin and, and, and black and Afro-Latin queer and trans people. And so that's when I dug into my, you know, toolkit of ideas, if you will. Um, and 10 years earlier, I'd had an idea for this young black boy named Damon who moves to New York and gets caught in a war between two house mothers. And I thought, oh, that checks a bunch of boxes. And that's a community that we've never seen highlighted on television before. Um, and so that really was how, that's how Pose began. This episode is brought to you by Lifetime's Robin Roberts Presents Mahalia. From executive producers Robin Roberts and Linda Berman comes the biopic of the legendary Mahalia Jackson. Grammy Award winner Daniel Brooks stars as the trailblazer whose music moved, inspired, and changed people's hearts. Critics have praised Brooks's transformative performance into the Queen of Gospel as thunderingly good. Directed by Kenny Leon and written by Bettina Jillowa and Todd Kreidler, this Lifetime original movie continues to inspire viewers and highlights the ongoing fight for social justice. Robin Roberts presents Mahalia for your Emmy consideration in all categories. I think really opened the door because I, I I read one that that uh, when you were when you were first pitching pose that a lot of execs passed because they said it was too niche right mm -hmm. or something like that um, and I feel like now that pose is out and it's successful um, it's really opened the door for these quote unquote niche type of shows which are not really niche they're they just might, they stories might, that haven't been told they might 
some of the population that you know a lot of people don't really know about but their stories are very universal and very mm -hmm. relevant um i was watching even watching the final season the final episode of pose i was like there's so many things that they're talking about in this episode that are still a problem, like with, with the healthcare, and you know we're still having the, the debate of whether healthcare is a right or a priv you know we're we're, mm -hmm. we're still dealing with that, and just seeing these stories of you know what um, these people were going through back then to, to get to get medication to 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 get to get into these trials it's it, it's like i said it's these these stories and these themes are very very relevant and very important um and i feel like post has definitely opened the door for for more things like that especially seeing it like i said anything that, that, that is a success hollywood loves so mm. so i'm 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 very i'm very happy that you know we've got to experience this um and i'm sad that it's ending yeah um so um, Pose obviously ends on June 6th. How are you feeling now compared to when the season, when, whenever the show was first premiering? That's a great question. I, the first thing that came to mind was proud, but I, I was feeling proud then. I, if I'm being honest, I'm definitely feeling a lot less anxious right now. Mm -hmm. I was really nervous when the first season, as we were working on it and definitely just before it was out in the world, primarily because uh, I think I just had a lot of, I had internalized all of the messaging that I, and all the feedback that I'd received while working on and trying to pitch and sell that show, you know? So for two and a half years between writing the first draft and then meeting Ryan, um, who said, let's make that together. Um, I was in and out of rooms. I had 166 meetings before meeting Sherry Marsh, who was my executive producer who introduced me to Ryan, where I was being told, we really love your writing and your voice is amazing. What else do you have? And then for the couple of folks who I think really wanted to be helpful, it was, I'm just gonna be honest with you. I don't know if you're ever gonna get the show made because I don't know where a show like this lives. I don't know who the audience is for a show like this is. You know, the narrative feels too niche. You know, it's, and then all the coded language, you know, it's too urban. Yeah. Right. You know? Oh God. Um, and so, I think going into the first season, even though I was working with Ryan Murphy, he had just come off of um, massive success because of the uh, American crime story, People versus O.J. Simpson, the first mm -hmm. that first season of, of ACS. And so I just felt like, okay, he just created something really incredible. So he's kind of due for something to not work. And this is going to be it. You know, like I just had so much anxiety because everything that everyone had been saying. Um, and so even though I was really proud of what we were putting down on the page that first season, I just kept this, this loop in my brain of it's not going to work. It's not going to work. People are not going to like it. People are not going to understand it was just, it wouldn't, I couldn't turn it off. Right. Um, and then the first season went to critics and we started getting the reviews back and they were all so stellar. And I was like, wait, people get it? <laughs> oh, I think and, I reviewed it too. I, I think I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you were one of those people who was like, really, <laughs> gave us a really lovely review. And then it went out in the world and we actually found an audience. And I was like, I can't believe that 
people get it and people are showing up and people are loving it. And, and I, it was interesting because it was, you're kind of in a vacuum. And so then it's like, well, maybe it's just like an LA thing. And, but then you go out into the world. Like I remember going to the Brooklyn Museum, which was the same location that we shot the first uh, heist in the mm. cold open of the pilot when they're stealing all of the dresses and the finery and whatnot. And I just remember like I was looking at an exhibit and in a span of an hour, I had two young black women stop me to say what the show meant to them. And I was like, what is happening? Like, I'm not even the <laughs> face of the show, you know? It's like, I'm behind the scenes and I'm getting stopped. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm, in, I'm forever proud of the show and what we've accomplished and what the show means to people. Uh, no, I mean, like I said, you the show has done so much for the landscape of television, you know, putting trans people at the forefront, front center, yeah. brown, brown and black trans people at the forefront of trans women, uh, men, LGBTQ uh, stories at the forefront is is something that I, I know has only done better for 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 television and and hopefully for the future of television. Um, so for you, as uh, was the third season always planned? Was that always the plan to end Pose on the third season? Um, and do you feel are you are you satisfied with how this whole thing is is coming to an end and this, the chapter is, is closing? Um, it wasn't the plan to end it after three seasons. Um, we. When I first met with Ryan, the way that I pitched the show was that every season was like a year in the life of these characters. And during that first meeting, um, we talked about and knew exactly what the end was, which is, spoiler alert for everybody, um, the, the cocktail being released. Like mm. that's, that's what we knew we were sort of working toward. We were, we were barreling towards that as our end point. And so... Um, that's always been the thing that we've discussed in our writer's room. And so coming into the third season, and obviously this was pre-pandemic, because I'm sure everyone has a lot of theories as to why they think the show ended. And I know a lot of people seem to think that we were canceled and we weren't. It was our mm. choice to end the show now. But um, but when we went into the third season, it was, okay, what year are we placing this season in? Mm -hmm. And that's always been a long and very intentional conversation because obviously we time jumped in season two. And so we were going to continue to maintain that. And every single season, the choice to have the show be in that particular year has everything to do with everything else that's happening around our characters, right? So in the first season, it being 87 had everything to do with, like that was kind of the height of that, you know, working girl, Wall Street era, yeah. you know, that point where like greed is good and everybody was making a lot of money. And and obviously 1991 for season two had everything to do with uh, Madonna's Vogue coming out and then the, the community suddenly having attention and eyes on them because of their connection to popular culture. And so this season it was like, okay, what's the year going to be? And once we knew we were going to set it in 1994 and that that had to do specifically with um, OJ and the renewed conversations around the Black community and their relationship to law enforcement in this particular country, um, it just felt like, oh, I can see the end point. 
Mm. You know, like mm. it just felt like it's right there. And so then I had to take a step back. And then the conversation in the room was, okay, so do we have season three kind of be like a filler season to hold us off before getting into those last beats? Or do we just let this be the last beats because we're there? Like I can see the end. Um, and ultimately it was a tough decision, but the reason to end the show now had everything to do with my two things. One is my love as a consumer of television and then also thinking about the audience. And so the thing that I've always hated is coming in, like waiting for a new season of television and then you go into it and that season of TV sucks. You're like, mm. what is this? Like, why? Like, what are these episodes? What is this about? Like, why? Like, why? You know, it just doesn't feel like there's any heart or purpose there. Um, and my concern was that if we were on this like forward trajectory that to sort of pause it so that we could stretch the show out a little longer meant that we were going to be taking a right turn and I just was I was really worried that like if we do that the audience is going to come into it and they're going to sniff that out they were going to be like okay what was it like what's the point of this season like what exactly is this about why are you telling this story and I really I think my greatest fear because I'm super proud of the story we told this season was that we would lose audience members in season three and then by the time we get to the story that you see this season no one cares anymore and it felt to me that the story we were telling the story was so important I was like I just don't want I don't want to lose the audience like I want them to to tune in and actually hear the things that we're saying because truth be told the narrative of the season really wasn't done as a response to what's happening in the world so you know I've been I've shared this with a few times with folks which is you know, in the pilot, or excuse me, in the premiere for season three, that conversation and all of those scenes where they're talking about what it means to be Black in America, when they're talking about OJ, when they're talking about, um, you know, uh, law enforcement and the prison industrial complex, all of that was written well before COVID. And in fact, we actually shot those scenes just before we were shut down in March of 2020. So, Mm you know, uh, George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and like all of the Tony McDade, those deaths hadn't happened yet when we wrote and shot those scenes. You know, so I think people coming in assume that we were doing that as a response. And it's like, no, 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 we already, that predates this happening, which to me just speaks to the fact that obviously these are issues that are prevalent in this country and always have been, you know, this isn't new, you know, it's not like we just stepped into racism. It's like, no, we've always been racist. Um, but anyway, I just, those were the kinds of conversations that I felt like, you know, if we had that same, those same scenes, that same episode a year or a year and a half from now in a fourth season, I don't know that it's going to resonate in the same way. I don't know that people are going to care as much. So I, I feel good about us making the choice to say, this is the end. Just tell the story now. Yeah. Yeah. That is a great point. It, I, I felt Oh, sorry, I didn't know what we're going to say. No, 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 I was just, I went to the, the point about like, you know, how, because I, I know there's always we, always, we all have our shows that we watch and then all of a sudden there's a season that's kind of like, okay, what are they doing with the season? And we, either we continue watching again or we just kind of like let it go and maybe catch it later. But that, that, that does make, I mean, your, your point is, that makes so much sense. Yeah, like you don't want to just have a seat. The show is so great from season to season. Just having one season as a filler, it might, you know, 
disrupt the integrity of the show. Yeah. And the, the, that kind of like definition of filler kind yeah. of explains itself. Like, and I, I do feel like, I don't know if you'll take this wrong, but it, it felt like it was almost time to end. Like when you, when they announced, oh, season three is the last season, I was like, oh, oh but it makes sense. That's how I felt. Uh, and, um, and what y'all did with this season, especially in the finale, and it's kind of what you packed into that finale just was like perfect. Like never, I, I never forget it. Whatever. Yeah. And every single person on that show is it, 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 just to see them shine. You know, it, it I love it. And and yeah, we're not gonna ruin and spoil anything, but there's a lot that happens in this episode. And and it's and it's so joyous and beautiful and almost traumatic and there's grief but also hope you know in, in like and we were just talking about that ending oh loving all of that um uh, so you know we we, we we mentioned this you know you know with the pandemic black lives matter even like you know the violence against the the trans community and asian hate and and there's just a, there's been a lot going on um and there was a lot happening you know when you guys went back into production and and were, were emotions amplified? You know, how was it filming this final season of a groundbreaking show that people love so much during this very trashy time, I guess? You know, uh, how, how, how did you and even like the entire cast and crew navigate uh, kind of saying goodbye to something in a time when something like this is kind of needed. Mm. Um, well, I definitely think that filming in the middle of COVID and on the heels of all of the uh, civil unrest that we saw last summer um, created a real sense of urgency for not only the narrative, I think, but for all of us who work on it right? There was just this real sense of, oh, we have to continue to put this show out into the world, not just because it can be a light for people, but also there's an opportunity here for us to say some things that are meaningful, things that hopefully will uh, spark discourse um, and hopefully impact the ways that we now navigate the world. You know, so it's it isn't by chance that our sh our last season is bookended by a conversation in the premiere around what it means to be Black in America, and then ends with a conversation around quality healthcare. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like mm -hmm. it, those are two pressing issues within communities of color, specifically folks who happen to be black in this country. And we, you know, we need to be having these conversations. We need to engage in it. Um, and through the show, hopefully we're letting folks know, we're letting the audience know that everyone has to participate in the conversation. Like it's not mm -hmm. just a conversation for black indigenous and people of color, you know, like it's everybody has to participate. We all, you know, like earth is a communal space, you mm. know, so. Um, it just, it, I think that it, it, it heightened the work we were doing. I think everyone came in with their A game ready to work. And I think specifically for our crew who, you know, I think 
in film and television, your crew generally are what, what we call below the line. And those folks, like they're not making money if we're not working. So mm -hmm. I think that while, um, you know, there might've been initially some hesitation about jumping in too soon. The reality is that, you know, Disney television and obviously FX and everyone were really, really great about assuaging all of our fears, ensuring that everybody was being tested several times a week, that we were wearing all of our protective gear. Um, and we worked really hard to ensure that everyone's safety was paramount, you know, that, that it was at the forefront. And then we just went and we got to work and it was, mm like every season before this one, you know, it, there are always going to be challenges and, and things along the way. And a lot of that had to do with COVID. Um, you know, for example, like location scouting was tough because a lot of, you know, uh, locations were just afraid of having, yeah. right. you know, uh, actors with no masks on or having, you know, a hundred some odd crew in a space filming. And so, you know, there were like challenges like that along the way, but ultimately it was a really successful season. We got through it um, mm. relatively quickly, which was great. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and you directed the finale, uh, mm -hmm. uh, which is great. It's kind of like a good way to kind of pat yourself on the back. And <laughs> the, um, but what have you learned about yourself, you know, as a, as a creator and even a person after doing Pose? We ask the tough questions here. <laughs> really? Um, gosh, there's been so many lessons. I mean, I think that the greatest lesson that I've taken away from the show is to never dim my shine for anybody, mm. you know, to uh, as full-throated as I need to, to use my voice unapologetically. Mm. Um, you know, I think I look at these incredible characters um, like Blanca and Electra, you know, and Angel and the ways that they navigate the world, you know, there's like, there's so much to learn from all of them. You know, I think of, you know, just two weeks ago in the third episode, we had Angelica Love Ross, who plays Candy, come back. And I think yeah. about like that character who I love so much and who was just so bold and so brazen and, um, and so willing to be her own advocate. And like, and those are things that sometimes I think I sometimes forget to do, I forget to be that person. And so spending this many years and this many seasons with these characters and telling this story has just been a really good reminder. Um, in some funny way, the, the show has taught me how to lower that voice that sometimes is playing in the back of my head that says, you're not good enough, you're not talented enough, you're not smart enough, all that imposter syndrome that I'm constantly feeling about me and my career and, and uh, the tricky parts of navigating this business, the show and these characters in particular have really taught me how to love and respect myself more and how to be um, okay with who I am in this very moment. Yeah. I love that. I feel like, I mean, I, I was just reading um, Billy Porter's interview today on the, Hill, the, the Hollywood mm -hmm. Reporter, and he was talking about living his uh. for, for the first time. And I feel like this show really gave people 
people that platform to really live their truth and express themselves. And that, I mean, reading reading his story was was just so touching and seeing where he's at with his life. It was so inspirational. And I yeah. I think that's exactly what the show has done, and it's and it's a testament to the show. Um, so, um, what so what's next for you? What can you tell us? I know you have we, we, you have your deal with 20th Century uh, Television. Um, what do you have in the works that you can talk about? Right now, I'm in a place where post pose, I'm trying to figure out exactly where I want to put all of my energy. Mm. So I think that I had a sense, if you had asked me this question even, you know, two, three months ago, I would have been able to rattle off a bunch of things. And now I'm in a place where having finished directing the finale only in March, you know, we, we only just finished editing it um, a few weeks back and now having it out in the world. Um, I'm just being really intentional about the next story because, mm. uh, you know, it, to go from theory to practice is, is an interesting journey, right? And so in theory, I always wanted my work to live in that intersection of edu uh, education and entertainment. And now I've actually done it in practice through Pose. And so I don't want the next project to exist solely to feed my ego. I don't want the next project to exist solely to... Um, push my career forward. I don't want the next project to be created solely to, um, you know, placate the studio that I'm working with. Um, you know, like I really want whatever the next project is to come from that same deep place that Pose came from, where it was like, I just know in my gut that this is an important story that needs to be told. I want to continue to make bold moves. I want to continue to uh, shatter all of our tropes and misconceptions about what it means to be a woman, what it means to be Black or Latin or Indigenous or Asian. I want to continue to break down the barriers for LGBTQ plus people. Um, and so I'm just in a place where I'm trying to figure out like, what's the next story that does that? What's the next story that will accomplish all of that in the way that Pose has? Mm -hmm. um, and so I feel like the place I'm in right now is I feel a little bit like I'm at the record store, you know? And I'm like, oh. through, <laughs> like I'm flipping through vinyls and I'm just waiting for that moment when you, you kind of hit like, like this just happened to me recently. Like I found, George Benson's This Masquerade album for 99 cents and it was oh, per wow. in perfect condition and I was like done buying it this is fantastic like I'm waiting for that moment where like I pull the gem out and I'm like there it is oh that happened to me the other day too I I found a, a perfect condition do the right thing on vinyl and I was uh, the, the soundtrack and I was like oh oh yay <laughs> that's my <laughs> <Love> contribution that. <laughs> I mean it makes it right like yeah well, actually, I was at this record store and I was all, where's like your R&B and soul section? And they're all, we don't have one. And I was like, what? And was that here was in like, LA? Yes. Okay, listen, if you want, <laughs> like as a sidebar to this conversation, yeah. if you want to find, you see, here's my record player, right? right here. Oh, I see it. Yeah, yeah. Right here. Yeah. Um, but if you want really great vinyls or great record shops, go to San Diego. <gasps> Really? Okay. 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 Listen, when I tell you, so I did a full 
like record store tour when I was down there like maybe three weeks ago. Mm. And in the just in the first two shops I went to alone, I found um Anita Baker's Rapture and I Ooh. found Anita Baker's Giving You the Best That I Got unopened. <gasps> and then the second shop I found Janet Jackson's control on all up. original, like the original pressing of the vinyl unopened. And I was like, bye bye and bye. You okay, like, I wanna okay, that's good. Cause like well, I'm, I'm supposed to for continuing to support record stores because <laughs> I'm like, I know they're they're, they're... <laughs> Yeah, I ordered Lisa Lisa and Colt Jam off of Etsy recently. <laughs> but, you know, that's we could have a whole record podcast later. <laughs> so we, we like to end this interview with the segment we call The Facts or the FAQs, just random fun questions to, to, to end on a light note. So your first question is, we, we know you're a big Mariah Carey fan. If you mm-hmm. could one album of hers to listen to for the rest of your life, which one would it be? <laughs> Only one. <laughs> oh, it's like Sophie's choice. Um, yeah, it is. Well, the two that I have on vinyl are my two favorites, which are Butterfly and The Emancipation of Mimi. Oh, those are great. Yeah. You got mm. one, though. One. <laughs> <laughs> Emancipation was a good one. And so oh, those were so two. Hard. Okay, I, I, I just want to say it because I got to go on the record as saying yeah. my, I think like my, my number, <laughs> definitely one of my top five favorite Mariah Carey songs is We Belong Together. Like I've worn that track out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if I had to pick one album, I'm, I'm going to pick Butterfly. Yeah, you have oh, to. Gonna, Butterfly because that a- was also a transition phase for Mariah, right? That's when, um, that's Honey, right? And, 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 yeah. and all that. Because I have that on vinyl too. Uh, and I was honey, listening to Honey, Breakdown. Breakdown. The Roof. Is the, song. Yeah. <laughs> the Roof. There's some classic tracks on that album. Yeah. Because that, yeah, that was her, was that the transition phase for her when yeah. she started hanging out with Biggie more? Or not Biggie, yeah. uh, Puffy more? She worked with Diddy. Yeah, Diddy did a yeah, bunch yeah. of her songs. And, uh, yeah. Puffy did, was he Puffy at the end? We'll, we'll okay. talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> okay, he's so. Like, now or something. I think he changed his name <laughs> He's changed his name again? Oh, God. Like, oh. Love or something? I don't know. Diddy Love. Well, all I need, all I know is that they need to put all the seasons of making the band on somewhere, Paramount Plus mm. or something, mm-hmm. because I want to, I want to rewatch the band stuff because that Come one was on. amazing. <laughs> Walk to Brooklyn and get me a Junior's cheesecake. <laughs> Hello. Okay. And rap so, to Juicy. Right. <laughs> you have to know the lyrics. Oh my God. I learned the lyrics of the song because of that. <laughs> Me too. I was like, what if what if Diddy one day asks me? I need to know it. You know, no, <laughs> you no. need to know. Okay, so if you could remake a TV show with an inclusive cast, what would it be? Okay, this here's the tricky part of this question you're asking <laughs> okay. because okay. it then implies that the show you're selecting wasn't inclusive to begin with. Yes. That's yeah, to get people in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's fine. You know, it was a different time. That's the, that's the always that's always the excuse, right? It was a different time back then. An inclusive cast, huh? I have one. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, tell me yours. Yeah. What's that? Friends. 
Oh, of yeah. course. Friends lacked black people. I mean, they, I guess they had that one black lady that came. They had, they had, they had, they had, had an Asian lady, Julie, I think. Yeah. 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 But yeah, they lived in New York and there were no black people. There was no black people <laughs> in, in New York, apparently, or at coffee shops or anywhere they went. <laughs> um, I, I, I mean, while you think, Steve, that I, mine's not a TV show. I, I, this has been on my mind lately. Uh, I put it out in twi- the Twitterverse because I, I was watching Sneakers. I don't know if you remember that movie with Robert Redford, mm-hmm. Sidney Poitier. And I was like, oh, I want to see this remade and have, and then someone tweeted back and said, Sidney Poitier should come back as James Earl, James Earl Jones's character at the end. Spoiler alert, if you haven't mm-hmm. seen uh, uh, whatever. But I was like thinking, and because I, I, that would be just, a, I just love that movie because it's so fun. I love a heist movie. Give me a heist movie any day and I, 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 I'll be Okay, oh, I think yours. I've got it. Okay. I think my answer would be six feet under. <gasps> Ooh, that actually is good. I, I would yeah, like that. Good yeah, yeah. <laughs> I need I need to rewatch it because I, I a lot of people rewatch it and they always like say that show was so good. And like yeah, it, it, uh, yeah. it's great. It's it's yeah fantastic. Yeah. But yeah, I could definitely do um okay. So I'm gonna change this question. Yeah, I know, I know you probably have a lot, um, but what is your best memory just from doing Pose? Any, anything from if, it, if it's an interview, if it's a certain event that you went to, if it's the show itself or just what, what would you say stands out to you from, the, from these past couple of years? The first thing that came to mind, and oh. I actually have a video of it and I'll, I'll post it the day that the, on Instagram, the day that the finale airs um, is behind the scenes footage of me at the monitor watching the moment of in the finale where Blanca and Pretel perform. Mm. So that was one where I'm trying to say it without ruining the moment, yeah. but yeah. It, 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 when in the moment when there's the, you know, that the, the huge sort of reveal in the ballroom as they're performing, we just didn't know if it was going to work. Um, and I was like, I was really nervous about it, but I was like, I was, but I was so excited because, you know, it's like, I know in my mind, I was like, this is going to be an iconic moment. People are going to talk about it. This is great. Yeah. You know, we're honoring one of our divas as well while doing it. Um, and I was so damn happy, not just that it worked, but specifically, and you all have seen it. So you know what I'm talking about, but like yeah. MJ, Rodriguez, who plays Blanca, was like, I I just remember I said to her just before we went to shoot that, I like pulled her to the side and I had a conversation with her. And I was like, this is your moment. Take your moment. Like, Mm. I just want you to eat it when you're out there. And she, like, the way that she just came and she, she brought it, she brought it. And I was, I'm just, I'm proud of both of them. I'm really proud of her for for her work in that moment. Um, That's one of my favorite moments. Yeah, and also we we had MJ on before the premiere, and we're having you on before the uh, uh, um, the finale. So Ooh. symmetry. <laughs> <laughs> Bookend. <laughs> okay. So are you more for spontaneity or s- stability? 
not my Virgo stability. Like I'm a pre. <laughs> With that said, I will say, like, my best friend, Cherie, she always says, she's like, you are always the person who you're so resistant to being spontaneous. And then when you are spontaneous, you always have a really good time. But I have to, like, get forced to do it. Like, there, I don't have a spontaneous bone in my body. I tell you. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. I feel that, too, actually. Because I'm a super planner. moments where I'm like, okay, I'll be spontaneous. But, like, I'm not like a, I, yeah, I like to plan things and, Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not like the type of person like, let's take a road trip, you know, like, like wake up in the morning. I'm like, I'm like, oh, no, we need a plan. We need to get snacks. We need to map out, you know. <laughs> okay. No, I love a road trip. I'm like, but can we do it in like three days? Yes. Like, let's plan. Like, not today, yeah. but in a couple, we need planning. Yeah, 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 definitely. Okay. This is a would you rather, would you rather be reincarnated as a fly or just cease to exist after you die? <laughs> I think I would rather cease to exist. Mm, that's a hard one, cause cause like the fly is like what what are you gonna do? You just really fly around them? Like, does anybody really want to just be a fly? <laughs> but then it's like always be like a fly. On Everyone's the wall. always swatting at you. Exactly. Like I'm Nobody good. Wants to go around, you're probably gonna die soon anyway if you're a fly. So. <laughs> Yeah, I'm good one yeah okay uh final question is is there an underrepresented voice uh in the industry whether it's an actor writer producer or creator that's not in the spotlight or in the mainstream or that not not many people know about that you think people need to know about and they deserve more shine from hollywood and the industry <laughs> it be, and it can be anybody just, just anybody who's not, maybe people don't know of yet and are, but they're doing dope things or they're doing dope work. Yeah. Cause we know there's plenty. Yeah, so we like to give them a shout out. Whenever these question, questions like this come up, it's like, you know how you'll always like on the ready, you'll be talking with your friends privately and you'll be like, and this and this and this and that. And then the minute someone asks you, you're like, Bloop. you're kind of deer, yeah, deer, deer in headlights kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're like, I don't know who I want to say. Um, I'm just flipping through my phone here. <laughs> <laughs> Like who are people? We appreciate I... the transparency. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, like... yeah. I mean, there's like you can name multiple, but it's just because yeah, there's multiple people. Yeah, they. We can do different. People. Wait, tell me some of your people. Maybe they'll start jogging my memory. <laughs> Well, people usually just shout out, like they, I mean, past guests, they either, the certain writers, maybe in the writer's room. Yeah, writer's room or like people they've worked with in the past or like peers. Like we just had a, a, a Tuso Mbedu on. Yeah, he's a fan uh, of Nick Fishback, who's an actress. On, um, on Judas and the Black Messiah. And, yeah. and even if, like, who did MJ say? I forgot who MJ said. Um, yeah, oh, I don't oh, I forgot that either. Um, but yeah, just, just, it could be a musician, just like I said, somebody that maybe you've caught. Artist. Yeah. Yourself. <laughs> Jimmy O. Yang. <laughs> Jimmy O. Yang actually said himself. I remember that because he, he was like a, he was a long time ago too. He was one of our, not one of our first, but he came on during the Crazy Rich Asians uh, yeah. uh, 
thing and we asked him and he said that's one i remember he was like oh me i need more recognition oh okay well then if i can say an artist then here's what i would say um i just went to the uh made in la uh Mm -hmm. 2020 show uh, at the hammer museum here in los Mm -hmm. angeles um and there's a young latin artist his name is reynaldo rivera was born Mm -hmm. in mexico um and Spanish childhood traveling across the border within the U.S. Um, and he he takes a lot of photos that are specifically capturing the Los Angeles's queer clubs and the house party scene. Um, and this was like in the 80s and the 90s. So a lot of his images depict um, an L.A. that really doesn't exist anymore. So like here, Echo Park used to be um, a predominantly Latinx neighborhood and obviously it's been like gentrified and people have been pushed <laughs> out um but at that time in the 80s and 90s it was you know it was much more queer there was a lot of like flair and glamour and so his photos capture that time period and and uh that community that once existed in, in echo park so he's someone who i think is pretty cool and i really loved his work what's his name can you say his name again yeah Reynaldo rivera Ronaldo Rivera. I love kind of these. It's kind of crazy how like the '90s is almost kind of retro now, which is really scary. But it is kind of retro. But I love you know those eras and seeing like these photos of a or images of a a time a different time and like seeing like, like seeing old pictures of New York. Yeah. Uh, when when like the subways were like all graffitied and stuff, although it was yeah. kind of unsafe. There's some personality there. There's a character there. And I love seeing those kinds of things. Yeah, that's very cool. Agreed. Yeah. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you. Um, thank you for Pose. Yes. For, for doing, for being groundbreaking and for opening doors and shattering ceilings. I cannot wait to see what you have coming out next. I'm sure. It's yeah. Gonna, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be, it, it's going to be an X-Men movie. I hope, so. I hope so. Marvel, call me up. Kevin Feige, call me. I've done all I the research. I'm ready. Because you're, you're a big comic fan. I, I could see it happening soon. Don't, don't you worry. We make things happen. I hope so. Thanks again. So. Thanks, thank, thank you, Amanda. Steven. Thank you, Dino. I appreciate right, it. Talk soon.